I have the, the honor of wrapping up our, our series called The Good Life this week. And um, you may have predicted we were going to wrap it up because it's, uh, it's about the Ten Commandments and we're on the tenth one. And so, you know, we, we kind of had some, some good meetings about, well, maybe we should extend the series, but we just ran out of material, actually. So we kind of had to just, it needed to, this is, this is where we landed. So, uh, yeah, well, th- welcome to our, our 11 o'clock gathering. Um, if we haven't met, I'm, my name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Generations. And um, if, if, if we know each other, then you will know this about me. But if we've, we're just meeting right now for the first time, uh, I will tell you, I, I grew up in a big family. I'm the oldest of six children from the same marriage and both parents. And and that was always the thing. We would go out places and they'd be like, these all your kids? And my parents would be like, yeah. (laughs) Same marriage? They're like, yeah. People like, oh man. You know, yeah. So, um, so we had a large family. And is anyone, you know, actually, you don't even have to be from a large family. I mean, anyone who, has, who had younger brothers and sisters would, would know this is that when, whenever it would happen, one of the realities of family life was that when we would go over to somebody's house and we would get invited over for dinner, which wasn't often because we had six kids in our family. So you had to be like, you know, either you were brave or you were just a glutton for punishment. It was just like one or the other. And so when we would get invited over to someone's house for dinner, our whole family, um, it, was, it wasn't long before the, the dutiful command would be given to, as, and all older siblings have ever, that's like, hey, can you just go and play with your brothers and sisters in the other room? Like, yeah, you know that, that thing, you know, and because it's, you know, mom and dad are like, we would like to actually be able to have a conversation with our friends. And so, it was just fine, it's just reality of family life. But, but one of the things that I learned early on never failed when it came to little brothers and little sisters is that they could be entirely disinterested with every toy in the room. They're bored out of their tree until somebody else is playing with it. And as soon as that happens, it is like the game changer. I mean, some of your parents, you, you know, you've seen this. And, you know, I just remember when I was six years old, I had a little sister who was about three years old. And, and when I was six, I, I, loved, I loved my Hot Wheels. I mean, I just had these, these tracks set up and it was just great. And, you know, it's funny, whenever my little sister, she'd be like upset or whatever, you know, trying to calm things down. And I'd try and be like, oh, look, I've got a car. I mean, like my best, like shiniest Hot Wheels car. And she didn't care. She's three years old. All she cared about was her baby doll. Like, that's it. Like, all she wanted, she had this little Cabbage Patch doll, and uh, she loved her baby doll, and, and, and she didn't like my, my toys. And so, I, I mean, if she was upset, there was no chance I was going to distract her with these, and that was the way it was. Until I started having fun with my Hot Wheels cars. And then as soon as that happened, all of a sudden, like, she would be willing to fight me to the death for what I'm playing with because... I'm enjoying it and having a good time. And as soon as she gets it out of my hand, she's like, actually, this is really boring. Toss, and then on we go, right? That's just the way it was. Uh, Now, listen, I noticed, though, as I was growing up, that this trend was actually not isolated to children. Have you noticed that? Like, it's not like you think it's, you think they grow out of it. Like, you know, it's all great. You know, you're 10 or 30. Uh, it should be over now. It's not. Um, you know, it's like supply and demand gone wild. I, I've seen people panic in the grocery store when they see, uh, you know, someone in front of them start grabbing items that are in low supply on the shelf. Like, this wasn't even something on their shopping list. They didn't even come to the store to buy this. But all of a sudden, uh, they didn't even want this, but there's multiple people stocking up on something, and the supply's getting lower, and they're like, 
oh, you know, they didn't get their card in there and just be like, I'm going to get some of that too because it's going. And like, have you seen this happen? It's like, you know, when the city of Nanaimo is like, oh, by the way, um, you can't drink your water for just 12 hours today, okay? Like, we're doing these upgrades, so from, you know, from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., your water, just don't, don't drink it. Like, you go to the grocery store, it's like the apocalypse has come, right? You know, some of the pickup truck, and they've got, like, carts of water. They've got, like, 50 gallons of water. Like, you know, nobody else gets any. It's like, I got it all. Like, people losing their minds, right? This is just what happens. I mean, I've, I've been at dinner parties where I've seen grown adults. Just, they, they've already said, they're like, oh man, boy, am I full. Was that great, right? And then somebody at the table says, well, you know, if nobody wants that, light, that last slice of pie, and all of a sudden the guy who just said he was full is like, no, I'll take it. <laughs> like, this, this doesn't even make sense. You know, I mean, here's the thing. I find, I find the science behind, you know, why people um, want things they can't have and, and why we want the things that other people have. I just, I personally, I find it fascinating. Uh, there's a general consensus that what it is that human beings do not want to feel lesser than the other human beings around them. They, they, in other words, people don't like the idea that somebody else has either more than we have or has better than we have. Uh, that's, that's generally it. And now, now, whether or not you find that fascinating, I mean, there's a lot of really interesting articles about this, but whether or not you find it interesting doesn't really matter that much because what's really significant is that we've all seen this trend in action. Like, we, we've all seen it. Like, we, we, we're there. I mean, of course, you know, hopefully for most of us, for our friends that are more mature and less socially awkward, um, hopefully the, you know, the pie scenario isn't playing out on a regular basis. Because isn't that so awkward? Like, when you're, you're with people, these are, these are friends of yours, and, you know, you're sitting beside that person who's, you know, is like, well, if no one wants this pie, they're like, oh, I'll take it. And you're just like, oh, gosh, like, this is embarrassing. I'm sorry that we know each other. Um, you know, like, so hopefully that's not how it's going down. In fact, usually what happens, and this is what we've, we've all been there, um, we, we sit down with a friend of ours, you know, and catching up for a coffee or something like this. And, and here's the story we hear, you know, say, hey, how's it going? And they're like, oh man, like awful, terrible. They start to tell you the story. Like, well, you, you ask them what happened. And then, well, are you, you know, like, like Joe from my office, right? He's telling you about Joe. Yeah, yeah, I know Joe, yeah. Well, like Joe got promoted, like to the division upstairs. Oh, that's, that's good for Joe. No, it's, no, it sucks. It's terrible. They gave him an office. It's got a window, looks overlooking Departure Bay. I mean, seriously? Listen, yeah, yeah. Listen, I've been here, I've been here, I've been here three months longer than Joe. I, that should have been my office. I'm still in the cubicle. Frankie's still picking his nose beside me like all the time, and he's looking at the. Uh, and then the weird thing about this story is that like you just had coffee two weeks ago and you're like, hey, how's it going at work? And like two weeks ago, they're like, man, like awesome. Let me tell you, okay, first of all, I'm hitting my numbers. My boss, total respect. I mean, you should have seen last staff meeting we had. He like actually mentioned my contribution by name. Hello, man, you remember six months ago, I wasn't sure. Like things are looking up. Like two weeks ago, everything was awesome. And now all of a sudden, because somebody got a promotion, it's just like, well, this is terrible. Like an instant change. 
Now listen, we've, we've all listened in on one of those conversations, right? We've all been there, yeah? I mean, this is, this is just the reality. And, and, and the thing is that all of us, we have this tendency to compare our lives to the people around us. And we kind of use that as the, the test or the, you know, the, or the, the way that we decide if our life is good or not. And I mean, I, I can relate to that. I mean, I, I think we can all relate to that because all of us at some point have wanted someone else's car or someone else's house or someone else's family or someone else's wardrobe or someone else's job or someone else's toys, right? We've, even if we've never told anybody. And that's the truth, right? If we're gonna be really honest with ourselves, at some point, we've all kind of gone there and be like, oh man, I wish I had. And you may not have said it, you may not have shared that with anyone, but you know, I think we've all kind of sighed the big sigh when you know we've been we've been just over you know invited over to a friend's house and we're, we're leaving their house and you know that friend who just seems to have it all together, you know, as you get you get invited over to their house and you get there, you're like. Wow, like you live in this neighborhood. Whew. You come in, you're like, your house is so clean. Wow, like your kids are so well behaved. I mean, that dinner was like amazing. Did you, did you order it? You, you cooked that. Oh, my, wow. Okay, uh, yeah. That's a, that's a new motorcycle you have. Wow, cool. That's, that's awesome. You know, and, and you know, it's like their house is cleaner and has a better view and their kids are better behaved and their spouse doesn't snore and their clothes are trendier and their cars are newer and their jobs are more interesting and literally their grass is greener. Like literally, like you're like, man, like I have like brown patches all, it's like the, the lush rainforest in their backyard. You know, and you're like, wow, what are you, 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 you you fertilizing that? And you're like, no, 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 it just grows like that. You're like, I hate you. You know, like, it's just like, how? What? And so, you know, you have that moment. We've all been there where we kind of, we leave that and we just kind of sigh. And it's just like, oh man, I just wish I had their life. Or maybe I wish I had a part of their life, right? And yet then here's the thing. Then you come to church and we're doing a series on the 10 commandments. And then you get to the 10th commandment and it just kind of, boldly stares us in the face, don't covet, don't desire anything that belongs to somebody else. And, and here's the thing though, like, have you ever wondered why coveting is so definitively prohibited? Because there's some other things in the list that, I mean, everybody gets why they're in the list. No murdering. Like that is just like, it's good. You like that? Like, you know, this is the thing, like, you know, God's giving Moses these commandments. All right, all right, for this one, write down, you can't murder. Moses like, all right, yeah, we're going to get some, we're going to have less killing going on. All right, God, I'm with you on this one, right? Like there's just some of these things that we, it's obvious why they're there. No stealing. That makes sense. No adultery. Makes sense. Adultery, stealing, murder, like these are things that when we see them in like the do not do list of the, the big 10, we're just like, yeah, all right, it's going to work. And then you start wondering how on earth does 
don't want your neighbor's stuff. Like, you know, it's like they were just running out of commandments. Like, it was like, oh man, nine's not a good number. All right, what else? We, well, I mean, I guess we throw that one in there. It's, it's fine. Like, like, you know, you're just wondering like, and because of that, like if there was ever a really clear commandment that we just do not take seriously, it is, it is gonna be this one. We've kind of made a sport of life comparison in our culture. And even if, if you're a Christian and you do believe that coveting is a sin, because when you read the Bible and say, well, it says it's a sin, I guess it's a sin. It's not the sin that we like repent and forsake where we're like, never again, God, I'm sorry. It's like, it's the sin that we just kind of wink at and tolerate. It's literally the sin where it's like, oh man, I wish I had that guy's ride. Oh, I just coveted. Well, sorry, God, you know, I know it's not good, but you know. I love that, yeah. Oh man, that guy's house. I tell you, if I had that. God, how come I don't have that? Oh, it's coveting? Well, okay, but you know, like, so have you seen the house? Like, you know, like it's, it's just that. Because the other commandments, if you're like, I just stabbed Bob in the heart and he's dead. Like your, your response to God is not like, well, you know, Bob had a cut. Like, like the, no, like you're like, God, I just killed some. Oh no, what have I done? Like you, that's repent, like immediately. Sorry, I had to say this in the first service. We got some people named Bob at our church. Like we just love them. Like don't stab, all the Bobs that we know are nice Bobs, like don't stab them in the heart, like just wanna, it's weird when you're trying to come up with names for examples like this so I just gotta make that really clear I got no vendettas against any Bobs, just so you know but here, here's the thing we, we kind of go through this and we say well, well like really though, why does God prohibit this, this coveting business because it's something that just seems so different than the other commands, and it, it kind of seems harmless when you compare it to the other ones. And so I think if we're going to answer this question, we, should, we really should. We should look at the, the original commandment. It's in Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 17. And, and here's the thing. It's, it's 11 words. Well, in Hebrew, it's 11 words. We translate it, you know, but it's 11 Hebrew words. And, and translated, it just says, it says, no lusting after your neighbor's house or wife, or servant, or maid, or ox, or donkey. It was, I'm really glad that that's in there because like my neighbor's got a sick donkey. Like, I mean, his donkey is like unreal. I mean, he, he trained that thing. And I, I was gonna get a donkey, but I was like, man, I would never compete with that donkey. And I just want, I'm gonna steal it when he's not even, yeah, no. Anyways, you know, don't, don't lust after these things and, and don't set your heart on anything that is your neighbor's. Wow. Anything. I mean, there's a, there's a very particular quality to the examples that are given here. Uh, because what, they, these are the things that just make up a person's day-to-day life. So when you think about like your neighbor's house, like that's, just, that's where they live. It's where their stuff is. It's, it's where they go home to at the end of the day. You think about your neighbor's spouse. I mean, that's the person they're doing life with, right? It's the most like important relationship they've got. And, and then you start thinking about it's the other things in the list are the things that, that make you able to earn a living. I mean, this is obviously written in kind of an agricultural community, right? Where, listen, if you don't got a good ox, uh, good, good, luck with your, good luck with your crops, right? I mean, how are you going to plow the field? 
You know, so you start thinking about like there's these things that are, are making it possible for you to earn a living. And, and then you talk about, you know, servants and, and maids. And some of you are already coveting. You're like, wish I had a maid, you know, like, you know, I'm, you, you don't even know the person. You're like, you're coveting from the Bible even. Like, you need help. Like, you're not, we didn't even get any further. And you say, because, but listen, why, why is that an issue? Because, hey, you know what they say, like, you know, Good help is hard to find. Is you're like, man, I mean, their their maids getting it done. Like, look at that. Like, these become so. These these are the things in someone else's life that are actually profoundly personal. And and listen, well, I want to be really clear when we talk about coveting. We're not talking about that you go over to someone's house and you like you love their coffee maker so much that you you like get in the car and zip over to Walmart and you're like sending them a text, being like, "Man, I couldn't help it. You that was the best machine. Like, look, I bought the same one. You got great taste. Thank you." We're not talking about that. That's not coveting. Like like God's not outlawing inspiration here. Okay, so like, listen, like every, okay, every one of my friends, when they, when they, when they finally see the light and they go and they get themselves an espresso machine, I just high five them. That's it. I'm just like, hey, see what I was saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, had that in my house, got it at your house. I'm coming over because, because I get it. It's just, that's not coveting. That's just sharing the gospel of coffee. Which is, you know, there's an order. Then we talk about the gospel of Jesus, and then we talk about the gospel of coffee, and eventually we'll get to the gospel of fine cheeses. But the thing is, is there's an order to these things. You know, there's good news that you can make great espresso at home. Great, glad we got the same machine. You've got, this is the thing, like the difference too between men and women is like when you're clothes shopping, like I would always be like, if I, if I have a shirt and I see someone else wearing the same shirt, I like get to them as fast as I can to high five them and be like, I just got to say, you sir have excellent style. Like man, I have never seen, like you're looking good, buddy. And, and that's just like, like women do this thing where they're like, oh, she's wearing my dress. They're like opposite sides of the building. Like I don't... I don't know. I just want, whatever. But listen, so it's, it's, coveting is not, it's, it's not about don't, don't inspire people. It's not about don't share the same interests. It's not that at all. But what this really does is it does go to the heart of the matter. It gets right down to it because the things that are in this list, listen, these are things that you cannot possess without taking it away from someone else. And as soon as you recognize that, like it gets dark really, really quickly. Like the only way you're going to get their home is if they lose it. The only way you're getting their job is if they lose it. The only way you're getting their family is if they lose it. Like it's pretty dark pretty quick. And so what's especially significant about this command about coveting is that unlike murder or adultery or theft, like those are all external actions do not covet is like this internal thing. It's a matter of the heart. And so we find out very quickly that, you know, in the 10th of the 10 commandments, we find out that the, the pursuits of your heart are every bit as important to God as the actions of your hands. And the reason for that is, is not, by the way, what most people think. Like, this isn't nearly as, as superficial because I think most of the time we have a tendency to look at this stuff and say, okay, fine, fine, fine. I get it. 
God's looking at us and saying, well, you may be acting great, but you better be good inside your head too, as if it's just sort of about this, like just this superficial standard of holiness. And that's, that's really actually not what's going on here. Uh, the, the truth is actually far more sobering. The reason that the pursuits of your heart are every bit as important to God as the actions of your hands is because the things that you desire will define your life. That's why this is a big deal. That's why. And, and there's, just, there's just no escaping that. God cares deeply about the kinds of people that we are, and he cares deeply about the kinds of people that we will become. And so, in fact, it's interesting that Jesus had, you know, these scathing indictments for a group of people who were actually checking all the external boxes. So when you think about those commandments, like you think about the, like these are people that they're not murdering, they're not killing, they're not fooling around on their wives. Like, like they're, they're checking all those boxes. And then, you know, even beyond that, from a religious standpoint, like they were just like, you know, like church every week. Like they sold their tent trailers and like, I'll never camp again because I'm going to church. Like they were those people. I like, wow, okay, there you go. <laughs> Tough crowd, all right, let's see how that is. Now we know it's important to you. Okay, so anyways, so okay, we get it. You know, come July, it's like me and Pastor Darcy praying together on Sunday mornings for a prayer meeting, you know, when the weather's good because everyone's camping. We get it, we get it. But these are the people, these are the people that they're like, they're, they're doing all the things. Like they're going above and beyond. Like I'll never miss a service. They're at prayer meeting like three times a week. Like they're just doing all the stuff. And, and they do it all. But yet Jesus has these scathing indictments towards them. Because what he says, it's interesting. You know, all of the behavior modification in the world, all of the external stuff could not actually changed what was going on in their hearts. The kinds of people they were, despite keeping all the rules, they were hardened people. They were cruel people. They were loveless. Internally, they weren't so great, even though outside they did all the things. And so in Matthew 15, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah. And in describing them, he says, yeah, these people, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. That's interesting. So it's interesting at the end of what they call the Decalogue, the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, the most famous commandments, the last one actually gets us away from outward behavior and it lands square in what is literally the heart of the matter, that God cares very deeply about the kinds of people that we are and more than anything else, the things that we desire will define our lives. Now, with that being the case, you know, we could look at that and say, well, but listen, I can actually think of any number of great illustrations of that principle, that truth, right? This idea that the things that I desire define my life, I mean, that's not limited to speaking to the coveting thing. Because in fact, in the New Testament, when, when Jesus revisits these commandments, when Jesus kind of, met, you know, comes back to, you know, you know, Moses told you, you can't murder, but then Jesus just looks at me and says, but listen, I'm going to level with you. If you like hate someone's guts, you're already there. And then, you know, he says, well, Moses told you no adultery, but I'm going to level with you. If you're giving the lustful eye to somebody, like you're already there. And so this principle holds true that the heart is, is, is even bigger, is much more important even than the external. But it's, I think that 
The fact that this is where the Ten Commandments land is actually really significant. That this is the example, that this is the case study in this idea that the things that you desire will actually define your life. So here's the thing. In ancient Near Eastern literature, the repetition of certain themes could be either overt, it could be implied. But in the Ten Commandments, um, you'll notice that dispersed throughout the commands is this, this kind of explanatory theme. You just kind of keep getting the same as you go through all the Ten Commandments. It's this idea, you, if you keep these commands, like these, the big ten here, like if you keep these commands, you'll be blessed. Your life will be good. And so and you, you read it, like interspersed between the commands are lines like, well, listen, your obedience in this will be rewarded to a thousand generations. And then like later on, you see, in other words, like, you know, you, hey, keep this command and your land will be blessed. It's, listen, in just a few short verses, it becomes really clear that in the Ten Commandments, um, there is a relationship between keeping these commands and experiencing the blessing of God in your life and in your community. And so when we recognize that, we realize that these Ten Commands are not just prescriptive. Uh, This is not an exhaustive list of of all the things you need to do. There's a whole bunch more law. There's a whole bunch more stuff that God gave his people. It wasn't like, well, listen, here's the 10. Like, if you just do this, everything else will be fine. That's, That's really not what they're giving you. Instead, they're giving you a descriptive list, not a prescriptive list, but a descriptive list in order to say, listen, here are some of the things that are gonna be most significant. And the reason they're significant is this. So if you, re- if you get into the Old Testament law, you get into what's going on here, what you're going to begin to see is that what the law is really concerned about is the, the kinds of relationships that we have with God and the kinds of relationships we have with people, with our neighbors, with those, those other humans in our lives. And that, those relationships are significant. And so when you begin to understand that that's what the law is really concerned about, is our relationships with God and our relationships with people, we actually really quickly begin to understand why this this last command of do not covet is actually really significant. It's because you cannot have a healthy relationship with God or your neighbor if your heart is full of jealousy, envy, and material lust. You can't. At the end of the day, Covetousness actually removes the capacity for gratitude out of your life. And so follow, follow this with me just for a second. Think about it this way. So if the basis of you having a right relationship with people, like the whole basis of you being able to have good and healthy relationships, all of that actually rests on your having a good and healthy relationship with God. And this is kind of what you get in the, in the Bible saying, hey, listen, you want to relate well to people, you're going to need to relate well to God because he's going to sort you out. You'll relate well to people. Okay, great. So then when it comes to that relationship with God, the core of that relationship we see over and over again in scripture are all these commands saying, you know, what does it say? Sing praises to the Lord, give thanks to God. See, gratitude to God for the blessings that he pours into our lives, for his faithfulness to us, for his mercy for us, all of these things, gratitude towards God is actually at the core of your ability to even have a relationship with God. 
And the thing is, is that I'll tell you what, like if, if, you, if you find me a Christian who is not thankful to God, I'll tell you like that's someone who actually doesn't even know him. Like you, that's not working. Like you're not actually. Because thankfulness and gratitude is, is you, that's what you build your relationship with God on. So we can't be in relation, right, right relationship with God without being thankful to him for the things he's blessed us with. So here's what happens. As soon as we start coveting the things that God gave to other people, I would guarantee you that that is now going to be edging out the gratitude from your life, chipping away at your ability to be thankful to God for what he's giving you. And this in turn shipwrecks the livelihood of your soul and it actually poisons all of your relationships. Now, why? Because the desires, the things that you desire will actually define your life. And if you fixate on things that do not belong to you, you will find that you are forfeiting the things that could belong to you. God is actually a very good father. He loves to bless us. One of the principles that we just recognize in our lives is that I just can't outdo God. Like I can't outgive him. I can't be better than like, he just, he blesses and he gives and he gives more than I would ever deserve. But one of the sure ways that you can make sure that you miss out on all of God's blessings for your life is if you compare and compete and then covet the things that other people have. If you want to miss it, that's how you do it. Because the things that you desire define your life. And so if you fixate on things that don't belong to you, you are going to find that you're forfeiting the things that could belong to you. And the reason for that is because it brings us all the way back around to the first commandment. Remember the first commandment where we started this series was where God says, listen, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, God says, listen, I'm the one who takes care of you. I'm the one who provides for you. I'm the one who restores you. I'm the one who heals you. I'm the one who protects you. I'm the one who is taking care of your life. So don't you ever look to anything else as a source of security and fulfillment. It's me. That, that's the first command. That's what it's all about. And actually, if you want to understand idolatry, idolatry is always when somebody decides that something besides God is going to be the thing that I think could bring me either security or fulfillment. That's idolatry. So what is covetousness? Covetousness is the stealth ability to make an idol out of someone else's lifestyle while still doing everything right on the outside. And that's why it's so dangerous and that's why it is so deadly. Because the thing is, is that when we look at people, like I will tell you right now, like if like you got friends in this church, like if, if you turned around tomorrow and you like decided, you know what, I'm gonna rob a liquor store. You know what's gonna happen? All of your friends are going to be like, we got to pray for, we'll choose another name. We, we got to pray for Steve. Sorry, Steves. Don't worry, we, we got no Steves in our church that have robbed any liquor stores. So I'm pretty confident it's a good name to go with. But listen, they're like, oh man, Steve needs help. <laughs> 
Steve, Steve's not doing so good in his walk with Jesus. Really? I thought he was doing fine. He, he just robbed a liquor store. Like, oh, Steve's not doing good. Like, like immediately we know. Like immediately, like, man, Steve's got some, some troubles. The problem with covetousness, though, is that you, it's this internal thing where just so stealthy, you look at someone else's lifestyle and you make an idol of it. You start to say, if I had their lifestyle, I would have more security and fulfillment. That's idolatry. But you don't tell anybody. You don't change any of the things you're doing and nobody knows, but all of a sudden you have this thing that is literally eroding you from the inside out and is going to take you down. That's why coveting is so dangerous. And here's what will happen. If you go there, I mean, if I go there, what we'll soon figure out is that by fixating on the things that do not belong to us, we have now forfeited the things that God was going to give to us. And, and here's what I mean. Like, what is the single greatest blessing that any of us could have in our lives? To have this intimate, personal relationship with God, our Father, who made us. Like, that is the game changer of all things. And I'll tell you what happens. You start coveting someone. You start, you know, making an idol out of someone else's lifestyle. Remember, it starts edging out that gratitude. It edges out that thankfulness. And before you know it, you have never felt further from God in your life. I mean, God would come to you specifically to say, I want you to know me. I want it to be so personal. I want it to just be like, this is going to be the main thing in your life. But as soon as you make idols out of someone else's lifestyle, you just start, it just starts falling apart. You cannot have thankfulness in your heart towards God and envy for someone else's life at the same time. They just like literally do not coexist. So all of a sudden you feel far from God. And then on top of that, you actually begin to feel far from your neighbors because then you, you can't have a really good and healthy and mutual friendship with anyone if you're actually just super jealous and envious of their life. Because, you know, on the surface, you're just going to be like, oh, you're so great. You're my friend. Wow. So much new stuff. Yeah, I got a promotion at work. It's great. So I went and bought this and bought that. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. I hate you so much. Like, you know, like, uh, you know, and when that's going, you, you can't like, so what happens is, is coveting not only breaks down your relationship with God. Now, now you're lonely. Now you're isolated. Now you don't have any friends because everybody you meet is just be like, oh, pff, they got more than me. I hate them. Oh, pff, they got more than me. I hate them. You finally meet someone who has less than you and you're like, ha, I got more than them. I'm so better than them. Like, you know what that just did is you're just now isolated from everyone. So the two greatest blessings that God would bring into your life is that closeness with him and that fellowship, that intimacy, that, that good relationships with people. They're both gone. And then on top of that, now the other blessings that God is deliberately trying to bring into your life, you can't even see them. You can't notice that God is actually, you know, when you think about the things that we, that we have, you think about, man, like I, I get to live in a house. I had a hot shower this morning. And just these simple blessings, like there's no gratitude in your life. You're like, who cares? And so the blessings that God actually starts bringing into your life, the blessings that God sustains in your life, they don't begin to, they don't keep mattering to you. Because we're just cataloging, we're just making a list, all the things someone else has that I don't. Because this is a recipe 
for absolute misery. But here's the thing. If we flip all this around, listen, if we refuse to compare, if instead of desiring stuff, especially instead of desiring other people's stuff, other people's lives, if we, remember, we said that the desires of your life will define your life. If we actually if we desire God, if we actually pursue God, like you ever notice there's this theme throughout scripture where everywhere, it doesn't matter, Old Testament, New Testament, you know, in, in the law, the prophets, the gospels, I mean, it's, it's just everywhere you go in the Bible, you just see this, this theme from God where he's saying, listen, seek me, chase after me, pursue me, desire me, make me the thing you're after. I mean, just this is consistently throughout the whole Bible, God just saying, make me the thing you desire. Well, why? Because the things that you desire will define your life. And listen, the pursuits of your heart are every bit as important to God as the actions of your hands because ultimately the things that you desire will define your life. So if you're desiring God, your life will be defined by him. And it will be good and it will be healthy and you will actually experience the blessings that he actually has for you. So now we're going to take a little pause. And it's about to get very personal. Someone told me once that if you kind of create those suspense moments, it's great for, great for people. They enjoy that. They're like, hmm, sit here in the awkwardness. Here's, here's the big question. How's your gratitude right now? How is it? Do it, do it just, I mean, you don't got to tell anybody. Just take a little survey of your own heart for a moment. How is your gratitude? How thankful are you to God for the blessings he has given you? Are you focused most on the things that God has for your neighbor or the things that God has for you? I mean, these are the questions we have to ask ourselves. We have to search our hearts. And here's the thing. We need God to help us because one of the things I realized a long time ago is that, man, like I can lie to me way better than I can lie to other people. Like I can make myself believe all kinds of things. Someone can ask me like, hey, how's the gratitude? I'd be like, awesome. I just love Jesus. So much thankfulness. It's great. Never think about anyone else's stuff. And then all of a sudden, it's like, you know, we stop when we pray, but like, hey, no, Holy Spirit, like, you, would you search my heart? You see, the Bible says that the heart is deceptive. That's why we don't trust it. So we, we trust God and so we say, Holy Spirit, would you show me? And all of a sudden, like, because then we ask the question, have you, have you, even on a small level, have you made an idol out of someone else's lifestyle? Have you looked at anyone else's lifestyle and said, man, I would have more security and fulfillment if I had that? Good news is like, if any, like if these are struggles that we identify, like, you know, you, we can actually change it. Like that's the best thing. Like you can actually change all of this. You know, you need to refuse today to believe the lie that you've told yourself that says that things that don't belong to you could make you happy. No, they can't and they won't. 
They won't, but we like to believe that. Choose today to take your eyes off of those around you and their stuff and what God is doing in their life and put them back where they belong on God. See, determine today. Say, I am going to practice gratitude if it kills me, and it may well, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to practice so much gratitude. Because here's the thing, when you desire God instead of goods, you know, tell you what, you will be a better man and you'll be a better woman. You'll be a better parent. You'll be a better friend. You'll be a better boss. You'll be a better employee. When you desire God instead of the stuff that he gave other people, your life will actually be better for it. And, and the, the best news is that you actually get to decide what you desire. I mean, I know sometimes it feels like desires have a life of their own, but you actually get to choose what you will fixate on. You're the one. You get to get up every day and decide, what am I going to chase after? What's going to be most important to me? What am I going to pursue? What am I going to spend my time and my emotions fixating on? You get to choose which is important because the things you desire will define your life. And when you desire God instead of your neighbor's life, you have a better life. Because you know what happens? Like, listen, if today and tomorrow, listen, if by Wednesday, you're just like nailing this. You're just like, man, here we go. And you were refusing to fixate on the things that don't belong to you you will finally be opening the door in your life to receive the things that God has actually been wanting to give you for a long time. See, we are our own biggest problems. And we don't have, we're like, man, I don't have this and I don't have that. Well, we get to choose what we desire and what we chase after. And, and let me just say this, we have got to get this. I mean, this is not just a you thing. This is a we thing. We've got to get this like as a church because there is nothing that breaks down community like a bunch of people who are coveting each other's lives. Like that, if you want a messed up church, that's how you get it. When, you know, someone comes in and you're like, man, I was, I was praying for this like this whole week and look, look what God gave me. And you're like, oh, that's so great. I hate you. I don't want to hear any more good stories. You, know, you actually get that though. You see that in the church all the time. People are like, oh my gosh, it's sister so-and-so. Oh, she's got another blessing from Jesus. You know, and you're like, I don't want to hear it. Every time I talk to her, she's like, I'm just so thankful because God did this in my life. And you're like, yeah, well, God just loves you so much, doesn't he? Like, like that is literally, but this happens in churches like all the time. This is a thing, okay? This happens. That is just beyond dysfunctional. If you want to break your church, that's how you do it. Listen, we need, to, we need to be a church where we are able to celebrate the blessings that come into other people's lives with genuine joy. And the only way that happens is like, listen, you, you got, this is what God's doing in their life and I can celebrate it because you got to stay in your lane. This is between me and God and that's between them and God. And I'm going to stay in my lane. I'm not going to get in their lane. I don't got any thoughts about their lane. This is not about their lane. I got my own lane. This is me and God. And, and this is, I'm desiring God and I'm chasing after God and I'm searching after what God has for my life. Who cares what God has for my neighbor's life? I don't know what God, I'm looking for for my life from God. I'm going to stay in my lane. 
So that when this person's like, man, I've been chasing after God and this is just like, my life is just, wow. We're just being like, hey, high five, man. Like we're doing this together. You got your laying up mine. We're just doing it. That's what it's supposed to look like. And it doesn't work when we're so focused on what other people have. See, what happens when church communities don't do this well, when the majority of people in a church congregation They live this covetous lifestyle. And again, you know what? They look great on the outside. All of the, it's all internal thoughts, right? It's like, oh, that's so great for you. Like they're not even, they're not even telling your spouse. You're not even being like, I hate them so much. Cause your spouse would be like, that's wrong. And you're like, I don't need a lecture. Okay. Like there's, there's. (laughs) Okay. Okay. It's true. This is the way it goes. So it's all locked in your head. But listen, when, when people do that, what happens is the church actually commits itself at that point to scarcity. We become, as soon as that happens, you become this really stingy, low-resource church because you can't embrace the blessings God's given into your life. And let me tell you what, that doesn't work because we actually have the most important mission in the world. Listen, we can't, you cannot afford and we cannot afford for you to miss out on the closeness and the intimacy of the relationship with God that he actually wants you. You can't afford that. You can't. We can't afford that. You cannot afford to miss out on life-giving relationships where you're so deeply connected in such a healthy way with other people. We cannot afford to miss that. We cannot afford to miss out on God's greatest blessings for our life because we're so busy comparing ourselves with the Joneses. Like you, We just can't afford it. See, churches where people are not focused, when they're desiring their neighbor's lifestyle, when they make that idol, they commit their church to scarcity where nobody is walking in the blessing of God and therefore the church is low resource, the church is empty and the church cannot do the things that God has called the church to do. So I'll tell you what, when we don't wanna miss God's greatest gifts in our lives because we were too busy whining about not having what someone else had. So I'll tell you what, when we are thankful, we will walk together in the blessing of God. We'll have his presence, we'll have a healthy community, and we'll have hearts that are full. So can we, can we stand together? I'd love to pray for you. And I'm going to invite uh, George to come back to the piano. And, and we just, listen, here's what, if you're able, if you just stand with me, I'd love to just pray for you. Because I think that here's the process that has to happen. Remember, I, I said like, the heart's pretty deceptive. Like we, we don't always see well inside of ourselves. So I would just like to pray for you if I could that God will actually just, it's such a merciful thing that he does. He kind of comes along and he turns the flashlight on and he's like, well, you know, there's a little bit of that. And in doing that, it actually gives us the ability, listen, this can't be the sin that we wink at and tolerate. It's gotta be the one that we gut and we just say, no, 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 no more of this. This is no good. And so, Father, we would just ask that just right now in this place, your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you just come and just just turn on the flashlight in our hearts? And, And Lord, when we ask those questions, how's our gratitude going? God, would you actually just show us the truth, Lord? Don't don't let us convince ourselves it's better than it is. God, when we just would look at our lives and ask, are are we are we desiring you or are we desiring what you've given to others? Lord, would you just help us to be honest with ourselves? Holy Spirit, show us what's really in our hearts. And and God, would you give us the courage 
to leave it all behind and to chase after you. Because we know that the things that we desire will define our lives. So God, we ask that you would help us to make the kinds of decisions where we're always desiring you and pursuing you first. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So listen, in, in just a moment, we're, we've, got a, we've got a great prayer team at this church. And, and, and there might be some of us that the reality is, is when we actually come kind of come up against this, the longer we've been living a certain way, the harder it is to make that change. And so maybe the best thing for you, the best thing in your life this weekend would be that you actually get somebody in, who, with no judgment, non-judgmentally, you could actually say to them, listen, I'm, I'm struggling with it. Could you pray with me? I just, I wanna get my eyes off of this and back. If that's what you need, we're gonna have a prayer team just in the prayer room, just right through those doors. And we'd be happy just to minister to you and to, to talk with you and, and pray with you over those things. But listen, if, you, if you're ready to go and, and just walk this out, I would love to send you off with a blessing. Uh, if I could, I mean, that's just, that's just my tradition. And so I would just uh, invite you, you know, in ancient times when a person wanted to give another person a blessing, they would raise their hands like this. And then those who wanted to receive a blessing would do the same. And so I would just invite you, if you would like to receive a blessing, to raise your hands. May your heart overflow with gratitude because your eyes are open to what God is doing. May you be content with the blessings he pours into your life. And may your faithfulness to him make you a blessing to the lives of others. Amen. Amen. Be blessed.